couple of weeks ago, we began a new series of lessons that I've called the basics of church life. And we're really looking at, okay, what does it mean for us to be a group of Christians who have chosen to, to have fellowship with one another, to live life together, to do this Christian life as a body. And the first week we talked about unity and how important that is. And last week we talked about serving together and how when we serve together, we grow in our relationships with one another, but we also grow together in our relationship with God. And today we're going to sort of take that and go in a slightly different direction and learn more about what it means to be the church. Now, one of the things that we see in the, the earliest days of the church is that from the very beginning, so we have this sort of, sort of uh, list of things that happen in the life of the early church. Jesus is crucified, he's raised from the dead, he ascends into heaven, and just in a matter of weeks, we have the day of Pentecost, which is the first day of the church when the church is founded. And immediately after that, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see the church starts meeting together. And we might you might want to think, well, why did they think that was necessary, right? I mean, from the very beginning, they, they realized a need that we need to be together. Now, they could have all just gone home and said, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus now, and I can do that sort of me and my family, and we're going to serve Jesus. But, but somehow they recognized that we need to share our lives with one another if we're going to be the church. Now, I think there's some reasons for that, but I mean, part of it was almost all those early Christians were Jews and they would have found their, their fellowship, their discipleship, they would have found their relationships and community in the local synagogue. And any city throughout the Roman world that had at least 10 adult male Jews could form a synagogue. And they did. And that was where their lives were centered. And then suddenly these people became Christians and the synagogue said, you're not welcome here anymore. If you're going to follow this man who claimed to be the Messiah, you can't have fellowship with us. And so they were cast out. And so these early Christians are thinking, where are we going to find community? And then the days before there were church buildings or churches owning property or any of that stuff, they recognized, well, we've just got to meet wherever we can. And so they gathered in homes. Maybe they chose the largest home of, among those Christian people, or they met in various homes throughout a city, depending on where people lived. But they chose to meet together. Why was this so important? Well, I think we see some glimpses of that as we come to the middle of Ephesians chapter 4. And, and we're, we're studying through Ephesians 4 in this series because the way Ephesians is structured, it's, it's really a handbook for early church life that probably was addressed to the city of Ephesus and then passed around the Christians in, in, East, in Western Turkey and Eastern Greece, and they learned from this same message. But Paul lays out, okay, chapters 1 through 3, this is what you believe. Chapters 4 through 6, this is how you act. And chapter 4 is all about church life. So because we believe these things about Jesus, this is who we are. And so he's speaking to the church, not just individual Christians, but to the church. And we talked about that unity and service. And he takes that thread and sort of weaves it into a new cloth as we come down to verse 14. Now, what we find in, in this part of Ephesians 4 is there, there's really like for six verses. It's one really long run-on sentence where Paul sort of piles a bunch of stuff on top of each other. And we have to sort that out in our English translations because it wouldn't make sense if we structured it like Paul did. And so you see 
periods and capital letters. And in, in my translation, you even see a whole new paragraph that really is right in the middle of this one sentence. So if you pick up anywhere between Ephesians 4:11 through 16, it feels like you're picking up in the middle of a thought because you are. That's what Paul's doing here. So to catch you up, Paul's talking about, okay, we're, we're growing in our faith together as we serve. And then we pick up in verse 14, which says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning, cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul's got some pretty strong words about this group of people who are pulling the church away. And it's because he's seen what can happen. Paul has seen that sometimes Christians in churches that he founded, people that he knew well, that he had trained, were pulled away by false teachers. And he's using a couple of different images to describe that. The first one is, don't be like infants. He's going to compare that to mature believers in a minute. But when we think about infants, what Paul says makes sense. Because he says, okay, you don't want to be like the infant. And when, when we're parents, we can think about it this way. When our babies come home, right, I mean, they, they can't do anything. They can't dictate where they go. If they go anywhere, we got to carry them, right? If they eat, we're going to have to feed them. All these things we control. But parenting is sort of over time moving from control, hopefully, to influence. Because at first, you do everything for them. And then suddenly they can sit up, they can crawl, they can walk, and you don't catch up to them ever again, all right? And then they turn 16, they can drive, and it's all over, all right? We hope to have influence on that end, but at the beginning, we're in control. Paul says, you don't want to be like an infant, because then someone else is in control of you. So you, remember he's talking to the church, not just individual Christians. So you, the church, don't be an infant church, all right? Because then someone can come in and lead you completely astray. And Paul had seen it. He knew there was a danger there. And he describes that danger with a different image. He says, if you're like an infant, you're under someone else's control. They take you where they want you to go. It's a little bit like being out on the open sea and a storm comes up. And remember in the ancient world, what they called ships, we would call boats, without any kind of navigational equipment, no maps, none of that stuff. If a storm comes up, you're just tossed wherever the storm takes you. Paul says you don't want to be like that because then you're going to end up in the wrong place because someone will lead you in the wrong direction. So there's a big danger there. And that would have been familiar to people in the ancient world. Read the book of Acts. You find about Paul's adventures on the high seas and how he really does end up in some very dangerous situations. And that's the picture Paul is painting for the Ephesians. You are in danger if you stay an infant church. So compare that with a mature church. Verse 15. Paul says, Instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So you've got the infant church blown about by every wind that comes its way, all right, contrasted with the church that is maturing. He says, this is the other image, right? The body of Christ. He says, you're the body of Christ, and this body is growing. It is maturing until it fits the head of the church, 
Jesus. Now, what he's getting at here is the head of the church is not the, the preacher or the pastor. The head of the church is not even the elders. The head of the church is Jesus because there's one body of Christ with one head, Jesus Christ. And the image he has is this body growing up to fit the head, becoming more like Christ. So as we grow from an infant church to a mature church, we are becoming more like Jesus. And Paul says the way you do that is speaking the truth in love. Now that's a phrase that's sort of quoted a lot by Christians, that we should speak the truth in love, and it should be because it's important, right? But if you look back to the original language, it's actually a little stronger than that translation. It, it could be translated something like this, doing or being the truth in love. So it really is more than just our words. It's more than just what we say that we have to, when we speak, we say things that are true. It's like we, we, we are truth. Like our whole lives are filled with truth. So we do the truth. So in our business dealings, we, we do it honestly. We do it truthfully. In our relationships with other Christians, we, we are the truth. We bear witness to the truth with them. In our families, wherever we are, we want to represent what is right and true. But Paul says we do that in love. Because there's a real danger here as well. If we have just truth or just love, it's going to be a very incomplete picture and we're not going to become the mature church that Jesus is calling us to be. So, if we just have truth and we've been around people like this, right? I mean, they won't tell you the truth. They don't care how it makes you feel. They don't care how much it hurts. You're going to get the truth. Well, the truth is valuable, but if you become more of a hammer than a human being, nobody's listening anymore. So we have to pair that with love. But if we have just love, which is a hugely important virtue, right? I mean, God is love himself. But if we just have love and we're afraid to speak the truth because sometimes the truth is hard to hear, then people are not going to grow because they don't have the truth. We've got to be truth with love. They've got to be in balance for people to hear it. And we have the best example there is, right? Jesus. Jesus was really unafraid to speak very difficult truths, sometimes to his opponents, sometimes to his own disciples. But yet he does that in love, ultimately seen in the fact that Jesus died on a cross for those who loved him and for those who hated him. So Jesus is our example of speaking the truth, being the truth in love. And so when we speak the truth to one another, we can become the mature church that Christ has called us to be as the head of the body. Paul takes that same image and stretches it a little bit in a different direction. Verse 16, from him, from Jesus Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here we are, the body of Christ. Each part has a different function. Each part is different. And yet we are one because as Paul said at the beginning of the chapter, there is one 
body. We can't divide the body of Christ with one head who is Jesus. So in this verse, the body grows out of the head. It becomes like him. And then we each fill our purpose in that body in love. So what's Paul saying to us? He's saying we need to have gatherings. We need to be together. We need to have connection with one another. Because to go back to that shipping image, boating image that we see at the beginning of the passage, we help each other stay the course. I mean, there are so many things in our world that can lead us as individuals astray and so many things that can lead the whole church astray. And Paul says if we have the right kind of relationship with each other, speaking the truth in love and challenging each other to grow from infancy to maturity, then we'll stay on the same course regardless of what comes our way. We'll we'll be the church that Christ has called us to be because we're, we're doing it together as we grow. So what does that look like? One of the things that the elders and I have been working on all year, and we have talked through this, Tim Irvin has made a couple of announcements about this, that you know, we're working on what we call discipleship, which is really just helping each other become better disciples of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Well, how do we do that? Because we want to be a strong church that is growing from infancy to maturity, right? Because it doesn't take long reading the news and not just the religion section, but news about churches and Christian groups throughout our country where we can see that they have become captive to something that's led them astray. Maybe it's a super influential, charismatic kind of leader who who takes a church and because he ends up feeling privileged and entitled, takes him in a way that really is sinful. We've seen that. We've seen churches adopt teachings that are not consistent with God's Word because they're not mature believers. We want this to be a mature church. So how do we do that? I think we have to do it by connecting with one another, right? Again, Paul is writing to the whole church. He's not writing to just individual Christians who happen to get the same letter, but he's writing to the church in Ephesus, probably shared with the church in Laodicea and other different places. But the point is, they needed each other. They need each other to be the truth, speak the truth in love. So as a body of believers, how are we going to do this? Well, in years past, one of the things that we've done is life groups, right? Some of you have been around for that. Some of you have been involved in life groups. You know that our groups in the past have sort of been one size fits all, right? I mean, all the groups were basically the same, studied the same thing, set up in the same way, sort of whoever wants to be part of the group can be part of the group, and everything's the same. Well, as we, we've gone through the past few years, we've been through groups doing pretty well, then COVID hits, we can't meet at all, and then hard to get traction on it, all these things going on. Uh, the elders and I have been thinking through this at every single meeting this year and praying through what should we do. And one of the things that we've come to recognize is maybe we need a variety of groups. Maybe we need variety in both the way groups are formed and then what they do. Like instead of just sort of generic groups, maybe we need to allow for some men's groups. And I know there's some men in our church that would really like to see that. Or some women's groups. And some women's groups have formed in the past several months and couple years that have been really, really good. 
Maybe we need groups for people who are single or groups for people who are newly married or young parents or older, whatever. If you can think about a group, sort of dream about it because that's where we are in this. We'd like to think about a variety of groups that then might study a variety of things because what a women's group needs to study is different from what a group of older adults needs to study. Or people who are new parents might need to study something different than just a group of men. So we want to have some variety in the form and the study of those groups because we all have specific needs. And we want to speak the truth in love to all those things. So here's our approach. We talked about this last week, and, and I'm pleased to be able to share this with you, is that we want to allow for that kind of variety. And the way we want to do it is to have a meeting on September 10th for anybody who, you're not committing to do this as you come, okay? But anybody who is interested in leading a group. And immediately, lots of people are saying, well, I don't have to go to that meeting because I can't do that, right? Well, take another thought, okay? Because they're not like some special secret qualifications to leading a group. Okay, you don't have to have some Bible college degree to lead a small group. You don't have to be on staff. You don't have to be an elder. None of those things are there. What, what we really need is people who love Jesus and, and maybe have an idea for what a group could be. Maybe you even know some people that you already connect with that you're thinking, man, I'd love for us to spend some time talking about God's Word. I mean, we already know each other and, and like to be around one another, and I could just invite those people and meet at church or in somebody's home or a coffee shop, and we could talk about God's Word. That's really what we're talking about here. I mean, you don't have to be able to teach a course in Bible doctrine to be a small group leader. So what I'm asking is, even if you've just thought about it, you haven't decided you're going to do it, that's okay. But if you've got an idea, you know, maybe I could lead a group for this group of people. What the elders and I would like to do is to hear those ideas, think through how that could fit together, and equip you to do it better, okay? We're not just going to send you out on your own and, I mean, I hope that goes well for you, but we want to share some insights and then form a plan. And our hope is to start those groups in the beginning of October, okay? We need each other. We help each other stay the course. So we've got to create some opportunities for us to grow together. And I think this is a good way of doing it. Now, in some ways, this is a little bit of an experiment, all right? It's not like we've said, oh, this church over here has done that, so we're going to try it. We've really sort of developed this ourselves and thought through how this might work for us. So it might be that we get in the middle of it and say, well, we've got to tweak this a little bit. That's okay. That's part of what experimenting is all about. But we need the church, right? It's not just the elders, not just the staff, not just some special group of people. We need the church with your ideas, your thoughts, your abilities to come alongside us and to see this through. Okay, so three weeks from today, four o'clock in the fellowship hall, you're not signing up to lead a group the rest of your life. It's okay, all right? You're just saying, I've got an idea. And we'll talk about those ideas and see what God can do with it. You know, today, I don't know what God's going to do with that. And uncertainty is a little scary, 
But you know what we as a church need to do to grow from infancy to maturity is to trust the head. To trust that Jesus will guide us and lead us in the right direction and that through that and through being the truth in love with the people around us, we'll become an even better church than we are today because we've grown together in our relationships with each other and our relationship with God. So come to that meeting, pray about it, pray about what's coming in the life of our church, and let's let God be on the move and act. Let's pray together. Now we want to be the church that you need us to be in this community. We know we're, we're just part of the body of Christ. We're not all of it. And there are Christians all around our city worshiping this morning. We're thankful for that. But we know you need us to do something in this community. We, sh- we ask that you show us just what that is. Help us to grow. Help us to grow from where we are now to becoming more mature, serving you more completely, and having the right witness to the people around us. God, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.